Hey, folks, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Ryan Kennedy. And today I have an awesome guest for you, Mike Duffy, who I first connected with last month at a GoBundance Mastermind event. And Mike here gave one of the best keynotes I've ever seen on the topic of human happiness. And he's been undergoing a bit of a research study, actually, uh, identifying what components are really the most important when it comes to living a happy and fulfilled life. And I'm really excited to bring this information to you guys because I work with patients in my practice all the time on resolving the chemical imbalances that lead to depression and, and poor mental health. And we work on rebalancing their microbiome, modifying their nutrition, really helping to optimize their serotonin and their dopamine production and some of the key neurotransmitters that can lead to feeling unhappy, which has yielded amazing outcomes for me clinically and for the people I work with. But an equally important aspect of this process is helping people to feel better mentally in the way Mike has been really focused in on and specializing in of the different lifestyle components and the different choices you make throughout your life's journey that really make a big difference in, in your life happiness index. So with that intro, Mike, welcome to the show, brother. Oh, thanks so much, Ryan. Delighted to be here. So what led you down this path? Of, of making it your mission to discover these key drivers for happiness? In one word, pain. Uh, I had a wall. So I had been a successful corporate executive. Uh, I was C-level. I was on the jet. And it all crashed and burned. And I had used achievement as the medicine in my life. And I was constantly looking for the next hill to climb, get there, feel good for a bit, but still feel a hole inside. And it led me to a path of looking for solutions. And I first went deep into ancient wisdom. Uh, the philosopher and venture capitalist Naval Ravikant says, for old questions, go to old answers. So when you think about happiness and you open the aperture on what makes me happy, you do a Google search, you get 2 billion hits. Um, it's just confusion. Where, where do you even start? And a lot of it's in conflict. So I just started to go, I decided to go back to the very beginning. Um, and it led me to a deep dive over a number of years into the seven great wisdom traditions, Hinduism, Confucianism, Taoism, Greco-Roman thought, Christianity, uh, Islam, and Buddhism. And it got really exciting because I found that they were all saying the same things. And I also found that a lot of what they were saying was very practical. So I started to incorporate these in my life, just really find the wisdom and just keep bathing myself in it um, on a repetitive basis. And I'm a former chief learning officer of a $5 billion global company. And part of the recipe of change of effective learning is reinforcement. When we learn something, typically within eight weeks, we lose about 95% of the content. And, and that 5% can stick. You can read a book and something can change your life. Mm -hmm. But the hit rate the hit rate's pretty lousy. But when you find some things, and in this case, I found these seven themes from ancient wisdom, and I just kept exposing myself to it. And I ignited this concept of reinforcement or in learning circles, what we call boostering that I'll learn something and then I, I don't need to review it, all of it again. I just need to be reminded of it on uh, a frequent basis. So that had a huge impact on my well-being, um, took me um, to a, a level of serenity and contentment and achievement I had never gotten to before. 
And then, as you mentioned, I've done a lot of data analysis since then. I've done a lot of interviews and a lot of research to try and surface what are the drivers of happiness and, and how can we start to apply it. One of the things I loved most about your presentation was that you drew into, you drew, you drew from all these different philosophers, these great thinkers throughout time, because I've been exposed to, you know, a lot of the Stoic philosophers through, you know, Ryan Holiday's work, and I've studied some of these world religions and looked into some of these things, but the way you consolidated all of this into a one-stop shop framework, kind of drawing the best from the best was freaking incredible, Mike. And I love what you're sharing about the learning component, because I think that's something most of us fall into, myself included, in that you listen to podcasts and audiobooks, read articles, you absorb information, but at a certain point, it almost just becomes this mental masturbation. You're not actually applying what you're learning or you're not actually implementing it on a consistent basis. So what is your system, like the brass tacks of your system for reminding yourself of the things that you're learning? So I'll, I'll quote uh, Naval again. He said a couple things on reading that I thought were really helpful and kind of liberating. He said, first, um, feel free to read the first third of any book, particularly any current business book, because the way books, books are designed these days, you typically get the payload in the first third, and then the other two thirds are just explications. So that kind of lightened me. So go through books, find the value, feel free to put it down, go to something else. But then when you find something that's gold, he said, better to have a hundred books that you go after, go back to again and again and again, than constantly search for the new stuff. There's uh, a great quote by a historian I love, Will Durant. He said, nothing is new except arrangement. And when we get to the core of what it takes to be successful, what it takes to be happy, it's all arrangement. So find the source that really appeals to you, that resonates with you, and revisit it. And then more specifically, what I do, I, I, it was funny. My wife tried to read a book that I had been through recently. She said, this is impossible because when I grab a hold of one of those books that I'm going to read the entire thing. I highlight it, I dog ear it. And then when I get to the end of it, I take all the highlights and I put it into a document. And I now have a Google sheet that has 200 tabs that has each of the sources that have really influenced me. And I have my highlights, just the digested version. So I'll just go back and I'll just bathe myself into it. And it only takes a couple minutes to get, boom, back up to speed, that reinforcement, bring it back to full prominence for me. Mm, I love that. And is this something you do as like a ritual every morning or is it just totally random and sporadic? You know, I, I think morning rituals are critically important. When I do interviews of happiness, I think the people that have a morning practice, they just show up different. They're more composed. They're more serene. Um, and, you know, the theory is you can either start your day off reactively. I'm going to read the, read the news. I'm, I'm going to do social. I'm going to do emails. And then you're on your back foot. And I find carving out time for me personally, it's meditation, it's journaling. I use a technique called uh, morning pages, uh, which a lot of folks are aware of. It's just whatever's in your mind gets dumped on the page. No editing, no preservation for posterity, just cleanse your mind by getting it out there. And the theory is it primes you to be a creator throughout the day because you start your very morning just creating and getting something out there. Um, and then I'll stack on, you know, some targeted readings, so something new, or I'll, I'll go back to my, you know, uh, my spreadsheet or, or my highlights. God, I love that. I love that, Mike. And on, I'm, I'm curious as, you know, talking more about the topic of contentment. Um, I know you have three methods of finding contentment, which I think is of tremendous value 
to myself and a lot of people listening to this because it's easy to always be chasing that next thing and to always be moving the goalpost as you achieve certain things. And there's a balance, right? Because you don't want to be too content to where you're not pursuing things. You're not mm. challenging yourself. You're not growing because you're just satisfied. You know, you're kind of just complacent. Uh, but then there's a, a balance of being grateful and appreciative for what you have and what you've done and acknowledging that. And so that that's obviously a constant balancing act in my own, my own life. And I think for most people of balancing those two ends of the spectrum, I'm curious how you look at this and what systems and methods you found around this. Yeah, I, I think it's a terrific point, Ryan. So there's a danger of getting blissed out and yeah. send out. And I found myself there in my research. But I said, wait a minute, where did my motor go? Where is that engine for achievement that I always had? Where did it go? And I started to say, am I too old? Did it just go away? Did I philosophize my way out of it? Mm -hmm. um, but then I found in ancient, in ancient wisdom um, that achievement is part of the recipe. And when I did the research, so I'm up to uh, 160 respondents now, um, qualitative and quantitative on a wisdom diagnostic I've done that's founded on these seven great wisdom traditions. And there were two elements, achievement plus serenity, both are needed uh, to really stay balanced and whole. From an achievement perspective, we're all creators. Uh, particularly, it's this miracle of, of human behavior that I've seen uh, firsthand uh, and also see in the literature. When we get it inside, we want to give it away. We want to bring it to others and some form. Uh, it's, it's just beautiful. And so I think first, getting your insights right, feeling truly content and loving yourself. Um, and I, I'll cite some of the data from my, from my survey, which has a, enough sample size that I could do some statistical testing uh, on what drives happiness. And so I'll first talk about all people because I, I definitely see some differences in gender and differences in, by income. But if we just look in the whole, the, the high, most highly correlated thing that we can do that leads to contentment uh, is probably not a surprise, but it's hard to do. It's living in the now. It was, to cite the data, 99.99997% correlated with contentment. Those that lived in the now were significantly more content than those that didn't. And... How do we live in the now and, and what do we get from it? So we're not programmed to stay in the now. We're, we're programmed to typically lean towards the future, sometimes catastrophize, ruminate about the past. We tend to spend all of our time anywhere but the now. And when we can bring ourselves just into the present moment, we get a lot out of it. So there's a, a Zen question that I like to ask myself which is what more in this moment do I need? And when I can ask myself that question, it bring, brings me right back to the now. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, where am I? I'm talking to Ryan, this awesome guy I just met. We're talking about the best possible stuff. We're in service to others. I have everything I need. What does it lead to? Now leads to gratitude. Now leads to gain. Now leads to appreciation. So I think... Building a discipline to stay in the now, meditation can get us there, a gratitude practice can get us there, and even simple things like that Zen question, what more in this moment do I need? The other aspect that has really fascinated me in the research is how we feel about ourselves inside. 
And I do a lot of work with high achievers and the concept of trauma comes up a lot. Um, it's been kind of stunning to me. And I'm not just talking about the capital T trauma. You were in a war zone. You had a, a horrific car accident, that sort of stuff. The little T traumas count as well. Just the sundry traumas that we all experience growing up, particularly in our formative years. And a pattern I typically see among high achievers is that I ask two questions. Um, how much does the trauma in your life, and by the way, 91% of people say they've experienced some trauma in their lives. And I ask a, a two-tailed question. First question is, how does that a trauma affect you now in a negative way? And how does it affect you now in a positive way? And I see this fascinating cluster. I see a high achievers in particular, they say that it's affected them in a positive way. It's driven their success. And as yet, as one person said recently at, at one of the big GoBundance meetings, I realize now that we all have trauma, that it's driven us to be successful, but now we're successful and we're still left with the trauma. Mm. So I see this pattern of it's driven us, but now we're successful and we still have it. So for high achievers, the number one correlated aspect or tool to look at for contentment was healthy processing of trauma, 99.6% correlated with contentment. And these days, I, I really ask people to honor their trauma. Um, it, it took me 50 years to do that. It took me a long time to say, it's okay to look back and to look at what I experienced and those wounds and to honor them because they're still running me. When I was a corporate executive, when I was on the corporate jet, I, I did change management. My job was to turn the ocean liner of these large organizations. Why was I doing it? I was trying to prove myself worthy. I was trying to get the biggest win I possibly could in a way that was very well measured and very clear to everyone to say, look, I'm good enough. I'm worthy. And I just kept going win after win, as I mentioned, it ended up being hollow. So I, I like to ask people to honor that trauma that you experience, find specialty resources that uh, there's a, a lot of exciting avenues in trauma um, that work at different levels of the brain to go after it. So I think that's critically important because at the end of the day, having high self-love was another really correlated aspect of happiness, 99.98%. How do I feel inside? When I ask the question on a one to five scale, how much do you love yourself? I typically hear about a three. Most people are like, ah, um, it's a tough question for people to answer. And then I will run into people that are a five. And typically they've gone through some type of pain. They've gone through a significant aspect of growth. And it's funny, whenever I ask someone who's a five, have you always been this way? I hear a laugh and I hear, hell no. People don't just naturally land. There may be a couple do, that they were just baked. But most of us have to make it a priority and go after it. And getting rid of the trauma that accompanies that is is that that drives that gnawing sense of not being good enough is one aspect. Mm. And then I and then I want to touch on the the other aspect that I thought was just phenomenal. Things that were also really high correlated. So that's about contentment, serenity, feeling good inside, loving yourself. Everyone has the potential to love themselves and to feel entirely comfortable in their own skin. Uh, it took me a long time to get there and I, I revel in it now. It doesn't mean every day is perfect. 
that's the other finding is this is consistent work. Um, and, and other than Jesus and Buddha, I don't think I've read about anyone that got there and stayed there. It takes continuous work and reminders and journeying with others in particular can be incredibly helpful. Other people that are bent on self-development, if you're reading the same book, do your own book club, talk about it, be the person that takes the conversation to the next level. So anyway, that's about serenity. What gets really exciting to me is, is achievement. Um, so two things that popped in the data that were also statistically correlated with happiness were number one, knowing your talents and potential. And then once you know them, high frequency in your zone of genius. So who am I and what are my real talents? What's my zone of genius? And then how do I architect my life to stay in it? And there's a couple tools that I work with people to do this. First, on knowing your talents and potential, there's a, a tool from the Japanese wisdom tradition called the Ikigai. And it's uh, basically a questionnaire and a discovery process. You can do it by yourself, but I find hands down doing it with someone else who can help you synthesize the findings and look inside yourself is makes a huge difference. So the Ikigai asks four questions and it's a four lobe Venn diagram. And the first question is what you love. Second is what are you good at? That's your zone of genius. That's where you get into a flow state. That's where you feel great about yourself and your gifts. And then it turns it to what does the world need and what you, can you get paid for? So now I know who I am and what really fires me up and I get in flow. What problems do I want to go solve? And then how do I build an economic engine around it? So I guide people through a structured process to find those answers. And sometimes there is a, a mission that is just lying right below the surface, something that someone is really excited about, but they haven't had the opportunity to, to really spend time with it yeah. and, and have it drawn out. Other times it's, it's less clear and it becomes more, okay, how do I just lean into my current job, my current activities? But this gets to the, the second part, frequency in your zone of genius I lead people through a process of architecting your life so that you can say, where do I want to spend my time and what do I want to get rid of? What can I, who not how, or delegate or, or get rid of, but how can I intentionally every day look at my zone of genius, lean into it in whatever walk of life you are now, and just do more of the things that make you much more successful that what is the Pareto of you and how do you stay in it? Love it. I love it all, Mike. And it's really interesting how these two buckets really feed one another because you have the serenity component where you talked about, you know, processing your trauma. And I think to your point with your story, sometimes our deepest pain that can highlight and help us to discover our purpose and what we want to pursue and what we want to focus on and help people with. I know that rings true for me. And one of the greatest tragedies I experienced as a young guy losing my mom to cancer, grandparents, you know, my dad had cancer. So I had a lot of mm -hmm. illness in my family and that led me down this path of natural health and helping people get well. And as a result, I've been able to help thousands of people reverse conditions and improve where they're at and all sorts of other things. And I think that that can help to tap into this achievement factor. And it's interesting on the uh, fuel component of what fuels you, because you can be running away from something or you could be running towards something. Right. And it a lot of people think that if they don't have this 
vision, like if they have a lot of almost dirty energy, it's a bad thing, but that can make for great fuel, at least in the short term, as you work mm -hmm. towards some of these things. And I even have a practice I do in the mornings because for a long time, I had this really kind of extensive gratitude practice. I'm already a pretty happy-go-lucky guy as it is. Mike just kind of wired that way because I see a lot of, I'm a half, you know, glass half full type of guy. And I would have these gratitude practices where I just get into this state of bliss and be so like stoked on life. I'd be like, ah, I'll save those calls for tomorrow. I'll worry about working on this another time. And it was mm. detracting from my productivity and drive. So I was speaking to one of my best friends about this. And he had this practice of like, rather than focusing on gratitude in the morning, move the gratitude practice to the evening before bed. That's a great time to really express this appreciation and be in more of that blissed out state. But in the morning, right before you dive into your high, high leverage tasks, he's like, incorporate like a negative outcomes practice where rather than saying how grateful you are for all these things, think about who's going to suffer and what's going to happen if you don't show up as the highest and best person you could be today. So for me, it might be, you know, who's going to die today or, or this year or, the, or next year, because I'm not showing up and recording interviews like this. I'm not doing the things that is my highest and best use of my time to serve people at a larger scale because I'm playing small because I'm just stoked on my life right now. Or who's going to suffer and die of starvation or thirst because I am not creating the financial abundance to genuinely contribute to the causes that are important to me and to people that need it or any number of other examples you could spin off of this, but it really creates this different mindset shift where now you're so focused on, I got to do this. Like I, and it gives you this fuel and this excitement because you think about all of the uh, wasted potential that, that is out there that you could run towards and really, you know, work on opposed to just having this complacency or contentment in the morning time. And then I switched it over to the evening time where I focus on being content and grateful. And, and that's been something that's worked really well for me. I don't know if you have any feedback on that. Well, I, I think that's fabulous. Um, because as, as we touched on, you can get blissed out. Yet yeah. I, my principal theme is, is now achievement with serenity that there are mm -hmm. two gears that I have that I can access. And I try and stay in achievement as much as I can. And then when it gets hairy, then I have a place to come home to. Um, I have a place to get serene, get composed, and then lean right back into achievement. And, and I never had those two gears before. It was all achievement, no serenity. Um, so I think it's important to have both. I, I love what you said about service. Um, I think that's the most evolved way that we can think about achievement. There's uh, the guy from Brand Builders, Rory Vaden, had a great podcast, and he talks about service, and he asks some very powerful questions to try and find your mission and how you can be of service to others. And some of the questions were, what pisses you off about the world? What breaks your heart about the world? And spend some time with that and think about what's in your zone of control that you could start doing something about. Those can be powerful questions that start to awaken you towards service and how you apply your gifts and service to others. Something else I think about what you said about your path and your, your pain and what you went through, Ryan, not, not you know, as a survivor and, and now as a practitioner. Um, same source where Vaden said, you're most powerfully positioned to help the person that you used to be. Mm -hmm. So what have you been through? What have you surmounted? We all have heroes' journeys. And people love 
and lock into hero's journeys and, and have since time immemorial sitting around the campfire. What is your hero's journey within that you can lead people on? I think is amazing. And because I'm an ancient wisdom guy, I just want to drop a, a couple things in. One is from the Bhagavad Gita, which is uh, the core Hindu scripture. And it talks about service and said, strive constantly to serve the welfare of the world by devotion to selfless work one attains the supreme goal of life. So there is a wisdom tradition that I really admire saying service is the supreme goal of life. And, and when we think about when we really help others, and particularly from our zone of genius, it, it feels awesome. It feels great. It builds our skills, et cetera. But I, I'll take issue a little bit with selfless service. Um, it's okay to have a little bit of self there. It's as you said before, if, if you're not achieving and prospering, that limits your ability to affect others. It affects your ability to be abundant in your life and to help people. So I found something from the Buddha that I sit with in the morning to kind of get me fired up. And the Buddha is all about serenity, right? And yet he said, I shall not give up my effort until I achieve the highest level which can be won by human ability, human effort, and human action. So here's the Buddha. Um, you know, you think of, of your conception of the Buddha. He's sitting there, he's Zen, he's smiling. He went and created a worldwide movement that has affected hundreds of millions of people for the last 2000 years that is still going strong. He was an innovator in his fields. He had female monks as well as male monks. He broke down the caste system he didn't just stay serene. He said, it's about service. How can I help others? And how can I use all of my skills? As he said, your ability, your effort, and your action in the service of others. Um, and I think that's really inspiring. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I love some of these, uh, some of these tips and strategies on identifying your, your zone of genius and, and your life's mission, because I think that's step one, right? That's like the step a lot of people never even get to because it's such a daunting concept. It's like, how am I going to figure out what the hell I'm going to want to spend the rest of my life on while I'm just trying to make ends meet and, you know, pay my bills and manage my day to day and just the normal stressors of everyday life, uh, let alone this like monumental discovery. Mm. And I think these are some really practical tips. And another one I would add to this that I've discovered for myself is to just try different shit, experiment. There's so many uh, business books and entrepreneurial books that are kind of like the one thing where it's like, you got to stay focused. You got to niche down. You got to do the thing that you you know need to spend your time on. But I think that only works once you're at an advanced enough level where you've discovered this zone of genius leading up to that. I know for me, at least when I was a young guy, I tried a ton of different stuff because one, I like variety. I think variety is the spice of life, but two, it enabled me to get a feel for, do I actually like this? Is this something I actually want to continue doing? And as I grow and evolve, being willing to make pivots and changes to how you do things because your preferences and uh, life design uh, that you want for yourself, it, it changes. So I think that's another thing for people to keep in mind because it's easy. I'm sure you can speak a lot more to this than I can with your corporate career of making your way so high up in the ranks in your profession and having such an advanced position within your company and then starting, you know, completely different thing from here, you know, just a, a pretty, pretty uh, wild transition he made. 
Well, I appreciate that. And, and you said something I think is absolutely vital and that is experimenting. Mm-hmm. So when we start to think about our mission, so I, I want to throw us in the deep end of the pool and then I'm, I'm going to try and rescue us a little bit. So I love this quote from St. John Newman. He said, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I should be told it in the next. And I look at that and I'm like, holy smokes, I have a mission and only I have it. And if I don't figure it out here, I'm going to be told it in the next lifetime. It, it motivates me and it scares me and it terrifies me, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I got to find this mission. I'm the only one with a mission. Um, deep down, I think we probably know it's true, but it's scary. It's like looking at the sun. And I think experiments are absolutely vital. I think opening up the space to your heart to say, there is a place for me to be of maximal value to others in my zone of genius. That, that is possible for me. That is a trajectory for me. But how do I get there? First, stop staring at the sun. Asking yourself the question, what is my galactic mission is, is likely not going to be that successful. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's get a general direction of where you want to go and then start doing the work. And one of the framers I love around this is a a very simple framework called A to B to Z. So Z is the mission. It's that shining sitting on the hill. And I think it's really worthy to spend a little bit of time really dreaming about your future and what you could do and get rid of the self-limiting beliefs, get rid of the negative self-talk, just say you're not needed right now and just spend some time dreaming. Think about a, a really huge Z. And that could be helping others. It could be getting into a a different asset class. It could be building a a certain aspect of your business or starting a business. Just dream, spend some time there. But then the A to B comes in. I'm at point A. And how do I get to point B? What's the next thing in front of me that I can do that's an experiment that's going to get me closer to it? Get from A to B, feel the agency of having accomplished something, Look up, look look at your Z. Maybe it's changed, maybe it's the same, and then get back to A to B. So I love spending time in that Z, that mission, and then just keep experimenting. And I, experiments really are close to my heart because I do a lot of experiments these days, and I, I'll contrast them with goals. So in my corporate career, I worked with a lot of executive teams, and we spent a lot of time on goals. And after a, a career as a change consultant, I got a little soured on goals, I think. And and someone said something recently that kind of really put this in perspective for me. Um, he said, a goal is a falsifiable hypothesis. What does that mean? Well, a goal is, I expect if I do this, these things, I'm going to attain, attain this outcome. It's a hypothesis. It's all it is. It's our best belief on what's going to happen if we, you know, a series of actions to attain a goal. But a goal can feel really heavy. It can feel heavy if we don't meet it, if we're not on track. But if we say it's just a hypothesis, what do we do with hypotheses? We test them. We experiment with them. And now when I have an experiment that goes south, I have lots of little experiments going on in my life. And when one experiment goes south, think about what a scientist does. Do they get emotionally volatile and reactive when when an experiment goes south? Maybe, but most of the time, the scientist says, ah, I learned something here. I am now 
more knowledgeable and I'm closer to my goal because what was um, Thomas Alva Edison? I didn't fail 99 times. I, I found 99 ways it didn't work. And he was in search of that 100th that did. So that notion of just find that mission, that calling, if you can, um, but just do the work and start experimenting. Um, a, a recipe for this is a high volume of low risk experiments. Don't bet the ranch on it, just get moving and feel that momentum. And, and the last thing I'd say is help get your message out to others. Don't keep what you're trying to do a secret. Um, there's um, a line from The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. And he says, when you have a goal, the whole world conspires to help you achieve it. And I love that. But what it means is the world can't conspire to help you achieve it if you keep it a secret. It's when you have an idea and you're excited about something and you can find a trusted friend or a colleague or someone you're networking with, take the risk to put it out there. I am blown away by how additive this process is of how just collaborating with others, particularly in things like masterminds, will give you perspectives and confidence and traction that you didn't have. So get it out there. Talk about your dreams. Talk about what you're doing. Um, that's a real accelerator. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's amazing the world we live in today, Mike, because you can monetize just about anything with the nature of technology and the internet and the interconnectedness is that, you know, you rewind 50 years ago or beyond that, there are certain hobbies, certain things that someone might enjoy where it's like, how are you going to ever create value, make money uh, with this hobby or this thing? But where we are today, there's almost, there's almost nothing you can't monetize in some way. Uh, with just the nature of social media and education platforms and uh, this the e-commerce and everything beyond that, that we've uh, have the infrastructure and platforms to work off of. Uh, a lot of people, I think, feel like, man, how am I going to make money because I like this weird, you know, niche hobby or I'm into this uh, certain sector. It's like, oh, there's there's a way pretty much guarantee it. And, and the interesting thing you shared, I like a lot is to share what you're doing with others because there's this inherent human fear of judgment like what are my friends and my family and people going to say about me and there's and it's a reasonable fear because people like to talk a lot of shit that's the nature of of humans is for better or for worse people uh people gossip people talk about you and you got to be okay with that at some degree as you're putting yourself out there and as you're going for it and i know for me when i was first starting out in this uh years ago and started using social platforms and everything I got some hate and judgment from people in my family and, and people in my life, and it doesn't feel good. And it's not something that, you know, you want, but it's it's a natural uh, natural effect as you begin to grow and expand beyond where some of these other people are that almost like, you know, crabs in a, a boiling pot of water, they're going to try and drag you down. And the interesting statistic I heard recently, someone shared with me at this Nor NorCal uh, master mastermind I was at this past week is on social media percentages. Uh, when it comes to social media use, 90% of people that use social media use it for entertainment. They wanna be entertained. They wanna laugh, they wanna see funny memes. They, they might be entertained by certain educational topics, but that's the primary reason why they use it. 9% of people use it for education, use it to learn a skill, to learn about 
you know, investing or business or relationships or any number of other topics. Only 1% use it to create. 99% use it for consumption, 1% use it for creation. And it just goes to show from a statistical perspective how many people have an adversity to this. And they, they're, there's a resistance to being willing and wanting to share what you're doing, especially when you're first starting out. Well, and, and that's where I want to commend you, Ryan, to being one of the one percenters, because it's not easy. And you have the detractors in your life that can tamp that energy down. And I'm really fascinated with the detractors inside that prevent you from moving forward. Yeah. One of, one of my old favorites, um, guy named Epictetus, who is a Roman philosopher, and he was a slave, and he found serenity in slavery. So I pay attention to Epictetus. He said, the mind is an enemy and in ambush. And the data show that up to 80% of our thoughts are negative. All right, we have 80,000 thoughts a day, and up to 80% of those are negative. We seem to be programmed to the negative. We're like a, a crab in our own bucket. When we start mm -hmm. to dream about something, we drag ourselves down. It takes discipline to allow yourself to dream and experiment and push. But the thing that I like to tell people is we've all heard that adage that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, the reality is the students are all over the place. They're all different and they all require different teachers. And your voice can be the voice that they need to hear that is on the wavelength as the right hero's journey has the right relatability has the right tools and being one of those one percent i think uh again ryan i really congratulate you on those on, on that on, on being in that cohort i think that's critically it's such a we've never had these opportunities before mm -hmm. but fighting that enemy within having the confidence putting yourself out there and seeing how it develops um, is is super important. Yeah, it definitely is as part of your own growth journey and learning process. Uh, okay, in closing, Mike, uh, I'm sure you could answer this question with a lot more than three, but I'd love for you to share three specific teachers or teachings that have most impacted your life that you would direct listeners to if they want to learn more about some of these wisdom traditions, these philosophers, these great thinkers that you've gathered so much of this information through. That's a great question. I would start with, I don't go modern and ancient. So I'd start with something that's been on my bedside table for decades, and that's Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. So Marcus Aurelius, if you don't know him, he was a Roman emperor and philosopher and did an amazing job of synthesizing Stoicism as a practical philosophy. And that's where I got my start. Very powerful teachings about benevolence about expectations about control he really sums up a lot of the stoic teachings and novel ravikant would smile you only need to read the first third um so the first third of, of marcus Aurelius's meditations um secondly i'd say a more modern source that builds on an ancient tradition is michael singer's untethered soul if you've not heard of that so the deep self we didn't talk about on today's call, but it was one of the most stunning things I found in my research. I am not my mind. There is something in my within me that's more powerful than my mind, that can look at my mind, that can have compassion for my mind. 
and it goes by various names throughout the wisdom traditions, the Atman, the observer, the witness. Once you lock into it, it is a gear for serenity that is incredibly practical. It is my main spiritual tool. So Untethered Soul by Michael Singer is a modern version of it. And then if you want to go deeper, the Bhagavad Gita um, in the Hindu wisdom tradition um, is a love letter to the self. So I'd say those are two levels. Um, first level, uh, and I mentioned, you know, th the three ways to get to happiness. Um, you you mentioned earlier, Ryan, I never fully answered it. I'll describe it as top down, top down, bottoms up, and then deep within. So the Greco-Roman stuff, Stoicism, Buddhism, um, those sorts of things, they're kind of top down. You're training your neocortex, how to react to the world. Um, deep self is about... Michael, Tinger's, uh, Michael Singer's Untethered Soul, Bhagavad Gita, how do I find this, this concept of the self? Bottoms up are what are the physiologic things that I can be doing? So Ryan, you'd be in a much better position to guide people to what are the things I could do around health, exercise, nutrition, breath work, meditation, et cetera. You're training your physiology. You're, you're coming from the bottoms up. And then one last book that has blown my mind as of late is about, but if you're, if the note on trauma res resonated with you at all. Dig into The Body Keeps the Score. Um, it's an amazing book by a practitioner in PTSD around uh, with incredible research and his entire career. Uh, and it really snaps into shape um, the impact of trauma and a lot of really interesting ways that you can go about um, taking care of it, whether that's top down or bottom or bottoms up. Love it. Mike, you are packed full of wisdom, brother. This was amazing. You shared a ton of value here. So I really appreciate you, man. Uh, where can people go to learn more about your work? Uh, I know that you do a lot of things within GoBundance. It's more of a you know, private community based. Is there anything you would like to steer listeners to uh, that's more public facing that they could check out? Absolutely. So um, I call my business Venn Wisdom as in a Venn diagram, because like the seven great wisdom traditions, there's something at the center, like the guy, there's something at the center. It's all about taking all of these facets and boiling it down to the Pareto. So I'm fascinated by Venn. So Venn space wisdom uh, or VenWisdom.com. And then I'm, I'm at Mike at VenWisdom.com. Amazing. Amazing, Mike. Really appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. You can submit your own question to be answered on the show by going to ryankennedyhealth.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Please note the information depicted in this episode is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine.